Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily. I'm Eric Johansson, and with me today is Gabrielle. Now, Gabrielle is a former LSAT Demon student and currently a 1L at St. John's Law in Queens, New York. Gabrielle, great to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Eric. Oh, well, thank you for coming on. Um, you sent us a very lovely email recently just recounting your experience so far in law school and particularly how you feel like the work that you did preparing for the LSAT has helped you in your first year of law school and maybe given you a leg up over your peers and would love to get into all that. But maybe just for some background, quick history of your LSAT prep, where you started, where you ended up. Yeah, um, I started with this wild idea when I was going to undergrad for a philosophy, politics and law interdisciplinary um, major and thought I wanted to go into political science, um, was taking international relations, despised every minute of it, and then took intro to law and was like, oh, this is fun. Like, this is interesting. It's philosophy, it's a little bit of politics, it's very much like etymology and getting down to like the root of what a word is. But at the same time, it's just being the best at understanding your point and being able to argue your point and anticipate the other side. Um, so then I went to Barnes and Noble and I bought every LSAT book that I could find. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there were like two or three, it was like LSAT for dummies. Um, and then I think there was a Kaplan book that I bought um, and started studying. And it was very difficult. I'm not someone who learns very well by reading in a book. Um, I need supplemental instruction as well. So I was doing the best that I could trying to do the budget friendly version of studying for the LSAT, which was just using whatever free resources online, as well as supplementing reading in these like textbooks or whatever they are. And I ended up, um, I was a nanny working as a nanny at the time and living in New York city. And so I would have to drive back and forth from the city to go work out in the Hamptons in the summers where the family was staying that I worked for. And I just felt that the three-hour drive was such a waste of time where I could be studying for the LSAT. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, let me see if there's any LSAT podcasts. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I like clicked on one. I couldn't tell you what it was. It was so boring. They were like trying to go through questions and talk it out. And I'm like, well, I can't do this while I'm driving because I can't look at whatever they're talking about. And sure. so it didn't really work. And I'm like, let me try again. And that's where I found the weekly one with Nathan and Ben. And I was scheduled at that point to take the LSAT in November. Um, and at this point, I'm pretty sure it was end of September. <laughs> so all my studying thus far had just been very, what's the word? It was very patchy, like sure. a little bit here, a little bit there. You know, I, I really, I didn't even understand the test at that point. Um, so I'm listening to Nathan and Ben and I'm like, oh God, that makes so much sense. And, and then at that point they were still doing, um, going over uh, logic questions. Um, and then they were also doing essay readings over mm -hmm. the dissecting oh, like personal statement personal reviews yeah okay uh-huh yes and so dissecting each line and thing in the personal statement and i'm going 
Wait, but what they're saying there is also applicable to what they were saying in the in the logic games. Hmm. And so I as soon as I got home, I signed up for the free account and did a little bit of studying on that. Took the LSAT a month later and got a 148 or one yeah, 148. And I was like, I'm not getting into I, sure I could get into some law schools with this, but I know I can do better. Um, and I know the tools are out there. So I really didn't want to wait. Um, I wanted to just get into law school that uh, cycle, but then that made no sense because I would be applying with a 148 in November, December, when the cycle had been open since September. Um, so I waited and I signed up for LSAT the following summer. Was that a, was that a difficult decision to make to delay your application cycle? At first, yes. Um, because I'm 27, which I know is not old, <laughs> but there is a pressure out there of like, okay, by the time I graduate law school, I'm going to be 30 or 30. Yeah. I will be 30 by the time I graduate law school coming in 2023, fall 2023. And especially for women, there's like, oh, I want to start a family, but I want to have the career. So I did feel a pressure to rush. Um, but at the time I was in a very supportive relationship and she encouraged that, like, if you're going to go to law school, if you want to become an attorney, you're going to do this the right way. And that doesn't mean rushing. That means taking your time and, and presenting yourself in the best way that you can, because it yeah. makes no sense to send in an application, uh, the way that I like with the status I had at that point. Um, and now we're engaged. So congratulations. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Amazing. Uh, so at first it was, but then I was seeing like, I, then I upgraded to the, um, one of the accounts in, on the demon and I was trying to do daily drilling and, and, and continue to listen to their, uh, to the videos that are on, like come with it as well as listening to the podcast, because more so than just like drilling the questions, I found a lot of benefit in getting into the mindset of the outset. And one thing that stuck out to me early on, which was what prompted me to email you guys into my 1L semester because it, it helped me on my midterms was something- In your law school midterms. In my law school midterms mm -hmm. saying that, sure, some of these could be okay answers. You could make an argument for, sometimes you can make an argument for all of the answers, but there is only one right answer. And there is one answer that is the best answer. And once you start to see things like that in the test, then all of a sudden it starts to jump out at you where it, it just was quicker where I could eliminate answers and like, that answer, I would have to like go through all these steps to try, sure. to, you know, to try to say, well, sure, it could work, mm -hmm. but that's not what they're asking. They're saying, which is the best answer or which is yeah. the least likely. The path of least resistance in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And how wonderful is that? Like, no, answer the question where you have to work the least. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. With all these, but if we said this, and if we're looking from this point of view, like, no, just take the, the answer that works.
And that can be tricky to get over because I know it's kind of seductive to want to do that work, to make wrong answers right. It's a trap that a lot of people fall into in the LSAT. And I'm not surprised to hear that the same can happen in law school when you're probably also taught that the law is a bunch of shades of gray and that you can argue both sides of any case and that there's never one clear right answer. But still, when it comes to test day, recognizing, no, there is one answer and it's the one I should work the least for, that sounds really powerful. Yeah, and there is this this um, tension of law school being like, you you know, there's a cliche, you ask a professor a question and it's never, it always starts with, it depends. Yeah, it depends of course. It depends on this, it depends on that. And so that is like the mindset, I think, as students and as aspiring law students and attorneys, we're already kind of have that mindset because we're, we're, we're trying to go to law school. We're trying to be lawyers and we're trying to say, no, I could argue any point. Like you give me something, I will make it work and I will make it make sense. But then, so there's that tension when you're learning the law, but then when you're actually taking the midterms or the finals or whatever it is, it's going, well, there is one answer and there you we don't have to come up with all these things because you frankly you don't have time um you don't have time to sit there and try to argue every point it's like no we're looking for a specific answer to make sure you know the material and you know the law and that was what it was with the LSAT it was we're making sure you know how to answer these questions and I always got very bothered by the fact when there would be questions or reading comp about science or something completely unrelated, healthcare. There are a lot of like medical questions. Um, and you're sure. going, oh, I just have to get through this. And then I'll be in law school and then I'll just be learning about the law and all these ridiculous questions won't come up. The thing is when you're practicing in law school and then as an attorney, you may very well be answering these very medical or sciencey questions depending mm -hmm. on study and depending on who your clients are um, and it comes up in hypotheticals all the time in law school and so the moment I realized that the the studying I had done for the LSAT was like hey everyone uses their own curriculum for the most part um, everyone's coming in with some understanding of you hope some similar understanding of how the test works but what I realized was we had to take an introduction class before our actual doctrinal classes began. And so they do a, a practice final at the like second to last day. And then the last day you go over it and they talk about what you did wrong. And there were a few multiple choice. And then there were issue spotter questions, um, which is very much like the uh, logic questions where you're reading something and you're going, wait, that doesn't sound right. Like, hmm. And if your brain is telling you that, you're probably onto something. Yeah. Um, so we we went through this multiple choice and then the the uh, essay questions. And I was the only one who got all the multiple choice questions right. And during the test, like I know it was a practice test, but during it, I was going, oh my God, it could be this answer. It could be this answer. But that one like really feels like the only one. But I was a little worried. Like you could argue that way. You could argue that way. 
And then in the end, when we were going over it and the professor was saying like, this is why this is the right answer and the only right answer. Um, that's when I started to recall that that was the exact training I had for LSAT questions. Mm-hmm. And so even with reading comprehension and you forget about it because once you take the, the LSAT and then it's almost a year before you're in law school, like I had forgotten about it. I didn't open up a book. I didn't, you know, there was no like, oh, I missed. No, like I was done. And so I was surprised, but I'm like, that's why my brain knew when those questions came up, like, sure, these look tempting, but there's only one that's like, this is the absolute right answer. And that is not, and that is, I think, unfortunately, not a common, uh, or at least not a universal approach to the LSAT, as you found that was something that you learned once you started with LSAT Demon, huh? Yeah. And then when I was asking all my other, like, classmates in this, I'm like, well, yeah, remember when we all took the LSAT? (laughs) the assignment that we had and but they just didn't have the same realization or the same training to say this is it's a mindset and it's it's learning the game it's the whole thing is a game and if you can look at it from what from the strategy of the game makers the test Mm -hmm. makers just like you looking at it from the strategy of your professors and and one day it'll be from opposing counsel or or the judges, then you're going to say, sure, there can be all these tempting answers, but there is one obvious answer here. And it would behoove me to follow that lead. Yeah. I'm sure law school professors just love it when after exams, students come to their office hours, come to their offices and say, hey, uh, I don't think this should be the correct answer on your exam. You can bet your ass that they are going to be able to tell you, no, you are wrong. This is why the correct answer is a hundred percent correct. And every other one is a trash answer. Um, the same thing on the LSAT, right? I mean, it's, it's gotta be legally defensible. Correct. Correct. And then I love when like a law student tries to pretend like they know the law better than a law professor. And you're like, just, they said, that's the answer. Like, understand why, because otherwise it's going to make you not a good attorney if you can't understand, like, no, this is what the real answer is and be flexible with that. So, so besides that attitude and that understanding of the game that you're playing, anything else from the LSAT and from what you learned, uh, studying for the LSAT that you have found has come in useful in law school, like, I've I've heard that sufficient for necessary pops up all the time. Anything like that that is really relevant? That's true. Yes. Um, confusing sufficient necessary. I had such a hard time understanding with the LSAT. Even uh, even with Demon, that that was something that took me so long to try to understand. That has come up a lot in a lot in my torts class, actually, um, because you're learning about each element of a claim. And so if you have one thing, doesn't necessarily mean that you have everything else. And then you're learning about but four causes, which is all language in the LSAT that if I didn't take the time 
to understand in the mindset and just said, you know, let me just get over, like, I could just answer these questions and be over with it. And then, you know, it's not, like you said, an obstacle, just getting to law school. It was, if I didn't take the time drilling every day and really listening to videos over and over again, until I actually understood what was being said, then these concepts that they don't sit there teaching you like law professors are not going okay let me explain what sufficient but necessary or you know let me explain these concepts they're just saying it as they're teaching everything else and so if you're lost on something on that part of it then it's your responsibility to go home or go outside of class and find out what does this mean um you know how does that affect the rule of law in this case and so taking the time to really learn sufficient but necessary, um, but for causes and drilling, like taking time every day. It's not like you have to do 10 hours a day every day, but even if you do a little bit each day, a few questions here, mm-hmm. then you're gonna know more than you think you do. It's a little bit of a race. It's a little bit of a marathon. It's a little bit of everything in law school. And that's how the LSAT was where it wasn't yeah. like, you know, if you're sitting there for five hours every day, but you're not understanding what you're doing, there's, it's not productive. Yeah. You know, if, if you take, okay, I'm going to do 30 minutes at, at 30 minutes, or, or let me do an hour every other day, you know, or two days a week, like, let me devote a certain amount of time so that I have enough well-rounded life outside of LSAT prep and work and everything else. And even if you feel like, I don't think I'm going anywhere, all of a sudden, eight months later, I scored 20 points higher on the LSAT. So the same thing as in law school. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I know anything, but then you're scrolling on Instagram and you see a headline about, you know, something ridiculous, like, oh, so-and-so got a a full refund on their plane ticket because of like a dog was passing. This is my contact. (laughs) And you're going, oh my goodness, two months ago, I would have been like, oh, that's a funny story. But now I'm actually able to look at it, even though I'm just doing a few pages each day, even though I don't feel like I, I fully understand and, and could teach this or, um, Sometimes there's a lot of imposter syndrome in law school. I'm sure it happens a lot with LSAT study. It's like, you know, a lot more than you think. If you just take a little bit of time each day and you do it the right way, instead of burning yourself out, trying to get it all done in these massive um, study times. And it it doesn't work that way. Like our brains work that way. I couldn't have said it better myself, and it's something I try to impress on my students all the time, particularly when it comes to measuring your own progress. I mean, with the LSAT, we have, if students will read a lot into their practice test scores, their time section scores, and might feel frustrated if over the course of a few weeks or a couple months, they don't see any improvement or ups and downs in those scores. Um, maybe just returning to your own LSAT prep, I think you had made the decision to apply in a later cycle. You were going to study to get a better score than a 148. What did that 
continuing process look like? And was it a struggle? Like, did you always trust that you were making progress? Did you feel like you were learning things every day? Or was it, did you suffer those same doubts about score plateaus and, and all of that? Oh, yeah. I got stuck. So about a month or two in, I, you know, I had a very sharp incline to about like mid 150s, my practice scores were saying. Um, and I stayed there for a while. Um, even like getting closer to the date of the actual LSAT. And I started to panic, not, you know, I started to really worry and say, I should have waited longer. You know, I should have done a full year. And then if I had to wait another year, like, so what? I could have done it. Um, you know, I don't want to wait and get from 148 just to 155. Like to me, I know I could do a lot better than that. Uh, so I did. I had a lot of frustration. Um, I thought that reading comprehension was my was the easiest of all the sections. Um, and logic games were the hardest, even though now apparently logic games aren't even a thing anymore. Um, it's my heart because it's, it's I, sad. It's so sad because I went from despising logic games and it being my absolute worst section to it being my best section and really having fun with it. Um, and with reading comprehension, I was like, how this is the easiest. This is the thing we're tested on from like third grade and up, or maybe even second grade and up. Like, how am I not getting this um, most basic in my mind, I thought. And so it was frustrating. And I had a lot of moments where I'm like, I'm not cut out for this. I'm not smart enough for this. Um, you know, I'm not organized enough for this. All the things and all the doubts. Um, and eventually, you know, you just, just don't give up. And I just kept going with it, even though you have those thoughts and, and you're going, okay, well, worst case scenario, I, I bomb the LSAT again. I just don't apply for law school. And I started applying for corporate jobs. Like sure. it, that, that can happen. But instead it, I kept in, increasing, even if it, you know, it's a little bit at a time. And there's a lot of small victories with LSAT studying where, it's like, maybe you're not getting a perfect score on a section, but there's one thing that you consistently struggled with. And then there was that one question and you're like, oh my gosh, I still only got like three out of five. But with those three out of five on that one section, I was actually able to answer, I'm already forgetting all the things about the LSAT, but like, <laughs> like with the games specifically, yeah. there was, I know this isn't useful anymore, but there were certain types of questions uh -huh. that I struggled with for so long. And I didn't even care that I didn't get a perfect score in those questions. I was like, I got that one question type right. And I understood yeah. it. And I didn't sit there like, oh my gosh, wait, 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 what is it? And like scrapping it out. It was like, I was able to understand that one question. And you have to take those little wins, those like tiny understandings and like uh, sufficient but necessary questions. Mm -hmm. I get those wrong all the time. And then when I finally got them right one time, and it wasn't just out of luck, it was like, because I understood the question. Yep. It was like a huge celebration. Um, and I think as long as you focus on that, then you're going to be okay. And it's okay if you're not even noticing little little improvements here and there, like you'll find them. And as long as you stick with it, it will come. 
Yeah. Because I thought I was done. I'm like, I'm, I got, I can't get past 155. It's not competitive enough. I'm not going to get a scholarship on that. Yeah. And, and so you did get past that 155. Tell me about how it worked out for you in the end. I did. So I ended up with a 165. Um, I thought I could do, I know I could do a little better. And I hear, I hear Nathan and Ben's head, uh, voice in my head saying, if you just do one more cycle, you just do one more cycle, you could get up there and you get into any school. And so I kept that on the back burner. I said, if I need to, if I don't get the, the offers that I really want, then I always know I have one more cycle um, or more. Now it's not just one, like you can have as many cycles as you want, you know, uh, with technology, we're all going to live very long lives now. So <laughs> take your time. Yeah. And I got a 165 and I live in New York city and I have a family here. So I had to stay regional. Luckily there's so many law schools in New York city. Um, and I got a full scholarship offer to St. John's university which I didn't know much about, but doing some research into it, seeing how quickly they are up and coming based on two criteria, which is very important when looking for law schools, is the bar passage rate and the employment rate. Mm -hmm. Because you get a JD from anywhere, but if you have a network of alums that are gonna get you a job once you're out, that's important. But you can't get a job unless you pass the bar. So. Like these were things that I um, didn't know were that important until I received this offer. And I didn't know until I just said, I'm going to apply to every single school in the region that I could commit to. I don't, I don't care if I don't know, you know, how good it is, or if I don't know the alumni, I don't know much about it. I'll find out more if, and when I get in, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and knowing that you're going to stay in New York city, you don't need to go to Columbia to work in New York city you're going to have an extensive network, like you said, of lawyers from St. John's ready to hook you up um, once you prove yourself at that school, which sounds like you are. Yeah, thank you. I actually got very good advice in between the LSAT and application process. I started reaching out to um, people for networking, just speaking with attorneys, even if it wasn't the field I knew I wanted to go into. And one senior partner gave me a very good uh, advice. He said, a lot of people think that to get the best job or to get the best education, you have to go to one of the Ivy Leagues or the top, you know, the T14s. But the thing with those schools is that they hire so many um, well-renowned professors that half the time these professors are working on their own projects that you're being taught by TAs. And they're not focused because they have so many, uh, so many international and like students from around the country coming to their school. They're not focused specifically on um, the bar and the law in whatever state they're in. So if you want to practice, if you are looking for a regional law school and you want to practice in wherever that region is once you graduate, it's very good to look at which of these schools is getting the highest bar passage rate in the state that I want to take the bar in and practice. Um, and that was something I didn't realize that, uh, so say, shameless plug here, <laughs> I'm not, I am kind of getting paid for this, it's not a full scholarship, um, but I'm not getting paid to re represent the school. Um, the bar passage rate in New York State is 87%. 
And in St. John's, it is 97%. Wow. 97% passed the first time taking the New York State Bar exam. That's extraordinary. Yeah. And I was very excited about those prospects. <laughs> Absolutely. It sounds like you, that, that St. John's has arranged itself more as a trade school designed to turn you into a real lawyer rather than an academic institution of the types of the, the top 14. Not to say that you're going to struggle to find a job coming out of one of those top schools, but a school like yours and most regional law schools are going to do a very real job of preparing you to be a working lawyer, which is what you want to be. Yeah, yeah. And if you want, like, if you know you want to do corporate law and be in the best law firms, then yes, you need to, you need to vie for those higher ranking schools, even though we know the rankings are kind of ridiculous and arbitrary. But um, in some ways, in many ways, it that does matter and it opens the door for you. But if you're looking for, you know, or if you want to be a scholar, some people sure. want to be, you know, scholars and professionals and get their LLM along with their JD, um, you know, high ranking schools do a good job of, of outputting that as well. But, th but this, the network of alumni in like regular law firm jobs, which is what the majority of law students want, um, is what is most impressive. And also having a community, and, and this isn't about law school admissions, but like, <laughs> it was about the test. But the community feel I got here compared to some other schools that are very similar in ranking in, you know, in New York that are very similar with um, out, uh, employment outcomes. They didn't feel as much of a supportive environment. And like with the LSAT, like you have to have a balance between your family life, your social life, your work. You have to have a balance. Um, the St. John's I saw did a really good job of noticing that you're a law student and this is your priority, but you can't be a law student if you're not a human. And so we need you to be a well-rounded human so you could be the most effective in your studies and then the most effective in your job one day. Um, so I think if you could put that into practice early on in the with the LSAT studying process, then you're going to be fine you're going to be fine in law school and beyond because it really is the LSAT is a reflection of what you're going to learn in law school, even though it absolutely does not feel like it at the time. <laughs> gotcha. Well, Gabrielle, you've been so generous with your time. I want to thank you again for coming on. Maybe before we wrap up, uh, a quick question about your experience in law school. Um, you mentioned the community and I'm sure that you've, made fast friends already and that's um it's a really special experience getting to be a part of that law school community you're also still like you mentioned a human being with external relationships and you're now engaged congratulations again how is it navigating all of the non-law school stuff and your non-law school relationships while going through 1l <laughs> It's not easy. It's not easy. It's very important to have some people in law school, even if you don't make friends quickly, um, 
having a few at least acquaintances that understand what you're going through because as much as your friends and family and loved ones on the outside are supportive hopefully and saying yeah of course you're in law school I know you can't show up all the time no one understands except for other law students who are going through it or people who have gone through it it's such it's so weird because you have a full-time job but you don't like you're not getting the financial benefit of having a full-time job 1l it's very important to focus on your grades and your studies um, as that is what gets you into the job market so i am not working and it is hard to explain to people and your loved ones that share like they don't understand i'm not sitting here at school all day sitting in the cafeteria like gossiping about the next big thing like it is a mentally exhausting marathon that takes a while to settle into um but it is possible to find a balance and it is possible to explain to your loved ones outside that you know it's just for one year because 1l is really intense and then 2l and 3l you have more freedom um it's one year and it's one very important year so if you can give me some space and some time and just your support for these 10 months out of the year, then, you know, eventually it could come back tenfold for you. Because if I'm successful, then I'm, I want to give that back to everyone who supported me through this, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy at all. I have um, my fiance actually has a, a young son. So I'm also trying to balance wow. having a son at home who just turned four, um, you know, fostering a relationship with a fiance, still seeing my parents who are getting older, um, seeing my friends like, don't forget about me. I'm still alive. I'm still your friend. I'm sorry. I just can't come to anything that you plan. And if you have your priorities set, like making sure my schoolwork gets done, but I take one day a week where unless it's something extraordinary like finals or midterm week or there's a writing assignment due, I take one day a week where I don't do law school at all. It's my one day to just be Gabrielle and be a whole human who forgets that she's in law school. I never forget, <laughs> but it's, it really makes it so that when you go back the next day, you're refreshed. You're ready to look at your studies. You could say, listen, I have one Saturday each week. So if I can schedule something for December, you know, or after midterms or after finals with a friend, then at least you have something in the calendar you're looking forward to. You keep your friends in the loop and uh, it, you it's possible, but it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Well, uh, that itself, I think, is also a great maybe closing advice to current LSAT students is remember that you're a human outside of your LSAT studies. And if that means taking a day off now and again, do it. Absolutely. You need to be more than this test and you are more than this test. Yes. Yes, you and are. You are so much more than the test and your grade is very important. Your LSAT grade is very important, but if you have a perfect score, well, I shouldn't say that. If you have a great score, but you show up to the to law school and you you can't perform in other ways, then there 
they're not going to want you and they're not going to hire you because jobs and law schools do want well-rounded students. Um, mm-hmm. They don't want just a score. They want someone who can talk, who can be professional, who can have social networking skills. And if you're too burnt out because you're so focused on being number one or getting that perfect score, then you can't be all those things. So definitely like make sure you know who you are, prioritize studying, but don't make it your whole life because there's so much more out there. <laughs> and and the LSAT sure. is such a small little blurb and law school will be such a small little blurb in our life. So you want to make sure that you are still you at the end of it. Beautifully said. Thanks once again, Gabrielle, for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Do keep us updated with how the rest of law school goes uh, for you. Would love to have you back on maybe in a couple of years when you've... Uh, who knows, ace the bar and you're off as a working uh, lawyer in New York City. I'll have another check-in. Oh, I would love it. I would love right. it. Email daily at lsatdemon.com if you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or law school admissions news. Thanks for listening. Thanks.